as you see up on there, the title of this message is A Humble Servant, something that we want to be because Christ was a humble servant. Some years ago, and I don't haven't had cable in many, many years, so I don't know if the show's still around, but there was a show I saw a few episodes of called Undercover Boss. And in that show, there were hidden cameras used to record the action as CEOs or owners of large companies uh, went down to the level of their employees at a low level in their company, uh, and they would work entry-level jobs. And, of course, it's entertainment, but there was also some purpose behind this, um, you know, obviously the TV show was around to make money, but also it made for interesting TV because it was kind of fascinating to see some of the things that happened. In some cases, as a worker was working side by side with their CEO or the owner of the company that they didn't know who they were, they just thought it was another person like themselves, you, you would hear griping and complaining about the company, whether it was compensation or policies or whatever, and some complaints were valid, and at the end of the show, as the CEO is discussing the experience as the undercover boss, uh, he or she maybe would note, well, some of those complaints were valid, and I think I need to do something about that. Um, so, so, so maybe in some cases there were positive changes made because the boss got to see things from the point of that uh, lowly worker. And other employees... It kind of warmed my heart as they were outspoken, not again, not knowing who they're working side by side, and they would be outspoken in their thanks and appreciation to have that job. In one case, I saw the CEO of a major convenience store chain was so overwhelmed by hearing the thankfulness of one of the route drivers who was an immigrant and spoke passionately about his love for the country that had given this opportunity to him, and he had this job. It was, he was just pouring out thankfulness. And the CEO was so touched by this that, that he actually gave the man his own franchise store, paid for it himself, and gave him the store. And so that man went from being faithful employee to store owner. Pretty nice, right? It reminds me a little bit of Joseph, uh, who was humble and worked hard despite his situation, and was promoted to great responsibility. In some of the shows I saw, none of the undercover bosses were uh, recognized. In fact, I think in all, pretty much all of them. Until at the end, they would do this kind of revealing thing. You know, they bring them into the corporate office and tell them what's been going on. You were undercover with me. And, uh, and in some cases, there were rewards given because the employees had done hard work and they had a good attitude. In other cases, it was a little less cordial. In fact, I think some got fired because uh, of what they had said to their boss. But I wonder, you know, how could have most of these employees recognized their boss? Maybe that picture was on the wall somewhere, our CEO, or maybe on the website they could have seen a picture of him, but uh, would they recognize him? Probably. It does seem like most didn't. And when I was in the Marines, everywhere you went, there was pictures on the wall and of the chain of command all the way up to the president, who's the commander-in-chief, the secretary of the Navy, the commandant of the Marine Corps, uh, the uh, base commander, and on down to your own um, 
colonel or whatever was in charge of your own outfit. And part of the reason for that is that those faces are supposed to be kind of recognized by you. Now, the average Marine on an average day is not going to run into the Commandant of the Marine Corps. But if, uh, if they were to bump into him, they ought to know who he is and be able to uh, render the proper respect that way. But uh, I, I wonder how many of these pictures we see on the wall, if they were not in uniform and you bumped into them on the street, would you ever know, oh, that's the general of my base or whatever? Probably not. And uh, anyway, in this TV show, I don't think any of the examples, anyone recognized their boss. Of course, this is partly due to context, isn't it? When you see someone outside of the normal context, you would expect them. Uh, you could possibly see someone you're quite familiar with and not realize who they are. For example, if you saw the same person every day at a store you went to and they were always behind the cash register wearing their uniform, and then you were to see them somewhere else at a different venue, you might not even recognize them. You'd be, well, who is this person? They look familiar. And uh, so we go through this. Um, and uh, even if the employees in the show had known what their bosses looked like, you, you wouldn't expect him in the company uniform working at a low-level job. So, um, so we want to take time to reflect on what God has done. Uh, we want to make time for devotions and prayer. We want to um, enjoy our life with God. He is with us. We use that word at Christmas time, Emmanuel, God with us. And uh, so we're going to look at a passage here in a moment from Isaiah 42. And it's one of what is called a messianic prophecy. In other words, it's, uh, it tells a future event regarding the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So it's a description of what Jesus would accomplish during the uh, incarnation. And, and our big idea is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is better illustrated by a humble life than loud declarations. Now, since this passage is a messianic prophecy, we want to look at the descriptions of Christ to see what the prophecy said he would be like, and then we can compare that to the gospels that verify to us that indeed that was Jesus we were talking about. So we often read the Gospels and we wonder how the religious leaders and how the educated people, how couldn't they understand this, that they were observing the Messiah? He was right there, the Son of God. He was fulfilling all these prophecies before their very eyes. How come they didn't know? It's easy for us to do that in hindsight, right? We, we have that tendency to look at Scripture and the characters in the Bible and say, oh man, that guy look at, couldn't figure anything out. And then we... we Forget that in our own way, if God didn't intervene with our lives, we would not have figured out anything ourselves. And we still have things to figure out. So there had been all these prophecies regarding the Messiah. They were unfolding before their eyes. They didn't understand that it was him. Or if they did, someone didn't want to believe that it was him because it wasn't what they expected. Uh, they couldn't imagine that that Jesus was this Messiah they were looking forward to because they didn't think that was the right context. Uh, just like the undercover boss, many did not recognize Christ because they didn't expect him to be wearing the uniform of the people. They didn't expect him to take the low position. 
They didn't expect him to look average. What did they expect? They expected a powerful ruler. They expected conquering king. They expected one who would set Israel free from all the enemies. Mostly at the time Christ did come, that was the Roman government that was over, uh, over them. Why didn't they expect that? Because they did what many of us do today. They selectively paid attention to scriptures that appealed to them. That described things that fit their idea of what the Messiah should be and what he should do in their minds. And being oppressed by Roman rule as they were, they wanted freedom from Rome. And so they were looking for a savior. Not a savior of souls, but the savior of men and physical circumstances they were in. So they saw all the prophecies of the second coming of Jesus at the exclusion of many of the messianic prophecies that indeed predicted a man of sorrows and a suffering servant who would seek and save the lost. So their views didn't include at all the humble servant. It's like they skipped over that part in their Bible because it, it wasn't the part I, I liked very much. Beware that we don't do the same. Yet that's what Isaiah presents to us in chapter 42. We see this beginning of a description of Jesus. And it wasn't a loud and boisterous and conquering king that was coming that would shout out in the streets, but it was a picture of a servant. I'll read from... Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. He writes, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who stretched the heavens and or who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and what comes from it who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So there's a few points I'm going to bring up as we discuss the first two verses mostly of this passage this morning. The first is, humble is as humble does. A little uh, Forrest Gump thing there, but uh, second is, Humility sometimes leads to humiliation. And three, false humility is unbecoming. 
Again, the big idea is the gospel of Jesus Christ is better illustrated by a humble life than by loud declarations. So the first idea, humble is, as humble does. Some of you remember Forrest Gump. He said stupid is as stupid does. That's what we call a negative warning. I'm changing it to positive and saying humble is as humble does to encourage that behavior in myself and in all of us. We see in this passage that the Savior would be a servant. So a servant is one who serves, right? Jesus was a servant. He put others above himself, and this drove some of the religious leaders of his time crazy. Again, this didn't fit into their idea of what the Messiah would do. Just like it would be a surprise for most of us if we were to see a king or queen picking up our garbage and hopping back on the back of the truck and uh, waving as they went off, it would be shocking to us. And these men were shocked at the idea of a Messiah who would humble himself to be a servant to poor people. But again and again in the Gospels, we see that Jesus did demonstrate humility. He didn't just talk about it. He did it. And one of the most humble acts he did was being baptized. John the Baptist, Baptist realized this. People were flocking to be baptized by John. It was, remember, a baptism of repentance. And so people were coming out to be baptized, and John would preach repentance, and then he would baptize the people, as, and that was their action that they were putting to say, I'm repenting, I'm turning from sin. And Jesus came and said, baptize me. Now, Jesus was the one and only person in history who had nothing to repent of. And John rightly said, you should baptize me. But Jesus did this as an act of obedience. He made a public demonstration of humility. Jesus was obedient to what the Father required of him. Let's not forget, Jesus was God. He had no need to be baptized. But he did it for us as a demonstration of his love and as an act of humility. When Jesus was baptized, an element of the prophecy of Isaiah came true. A voice from heaven proclaimed, This is my beloved Son, in him I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came upon him. And Isaiah had prophesied that event in verse 1. He said, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. And God did that visibly at the time of Jesus' baptism so people could see a visual representation of what he was doing. And he will bring forth justice to the nations. Now in the same way, reflect on the lowly birth of Jesus. You know, you have probably all known, maybe even known someone, but at least have read a story where someone delivered the baby in the car on the way they didn't get to the hospital in time or, uh, some, or sometimes on the side of the road or something like that. And as much as we might think that's not a very dignified way to enter into the world, how much more in undignified for Jesus who was born next to the livestock. So we see that humbleness and we are called to be humble as well. Jesus was humble in order to serve us. He gives us that free gift, but the act of humility on our part is realizing we need him. See, no one really comes to Christ in a true and authentic way that has not humbled themselves. 
and realize the weight of their sin and their need for repentance and their need for a Savior. When we realize that we need those things, we not only bow our knee in humble recognition of his kingship, but we should also humbly serve as he served. And that starts at home, and that should be done in our lives. We should humbly serve. And humility means serving not those who may in some way be above our station in life so that we can somehow get something out of it. You know, you hear about, well, we're networking here. You know, we're, we're going to kind of build our resume for later so that we can have favors to ask of people. But rather, we serve those who we may even consider to be below us. And this is because we've come to realization that really no one is below us. We are all children of God. So humble is as humble does. Jesus didn't go around shouting or crying out in the streets or raising his voice in the streets, as, the, as Isaiah says, but he demonstrated humility. And as his disciples were called to demonstrate humility as well. So are you humble? Remember the big idea that God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is better illustrated by a humble life than loud declarations. The next point is that humility sometimes leads to humiliation. Imagine one of those undercover bosses who went to work in that entry-level job and they were berated and mistreated by an unjust manager. Well, what would he do? Well, he could pull rank and reveal who he is right there and fire the person on the spot. Or he could take the humiliating treatment, knowing that in the end his authority would be revealed and justice would be dealt swiftly against the offending person. Jesus experienced a humiliation that's impossible for us to even comprehend. Not only did he humble himself to be baptized, though he had nothing to repent about, he continued to be mocked. And in the end, he allowed himself to be betrayed. He allowed himself to be unjustly sentenced. He allowed himself to be beaten. He allowed himself to be crucified. Any of those steps toward the cross, he could have taken control. He could have ruined the plans of those who were out to kill him. In fact, earlier he did just that. There was a, in the Gospels, you can see the, the time where he slipped through the crowd. They were about ready to kill him right then. And he got away. He could have avoided the betrayal of Judas, right? By bringing it to Peter's attention. Because we all know what Peter would have done, right? Hey, Peter, Judas is a traitor. Take care of that for me, right? Peter was pretty zealous. He probably would have done something about it. He could have convinced Pilate of his innocence if he'd only defended himself. And yet, he allowed this process to continue allowed himself to suffer the greatest humiliation the world has ever seen. The very creator damaged and killed by his creation. No humiliation we can encounter will ever come close to this. Although we can never experience humiliation to that degree, our profession of Christ may very well lead to a time when we will either face humiliation or deny our faith. We may be asked to be humiliated as well. Are you willing to be humiliated? I'll add to the, the whole cancel culture you're hearing a lot about now. It's, 
it may be becoming a dangerous world to have certain opinions, and it is becoming in some parts of our country and Canada as well, and you can check on that. I'll share some articles with you if you'd like. There's a pastor in jail in Alberta right now. Cancel culture. You speak the truth about Christ, look out. Are you willing to be humiliated? Finally, I want to address false humility. False humility is unbecoming. Now, some of you know I love reading classic literature. I might have even used this illustration before, but my favorite author, of course, is who, Glade? Charles Dickens has one of the, um, this way of describing characters. Uh, and he can describe characters who you find to be so endearing, you feel like, I wish that was my niece or my nephew or my brother or something like that. And he also ex- describes characters who you feel just this repulsion over. You know, it's like, oh, that guy. And uh, I've read David Copperfield, which is, of all of Dickens' novels, they say it's the one that's kind of almost autobiography, an autobiography of sorts because he puts a lot of his own life into it. And, uh, and I've read it a few times over the years, and many of the characters and the events in that story are drawn from Dickens' own experience. Growing up as a boy, uh, having a tough family situation, and working at a very young age at a boot-blacking factory. And uh, as you read this book, and as I was reading it, I would often verbally react. I actually say something out loud as I'm reading uh, because of this one vile character. And, and if you were listening to me sitting quietly in my chair and hearing all of a sudden my gasp or anger or whatever, you'd be like, what is he reading there? And uh, this character was Uriah Heep. Uh, and of all the characters probably in all the books I've ever read, which is a lot of books, I've read a lot of books, I think he's one of the most disgusting, reviled characters I can think of. Whenever he appeared in the story again, my gut would clench up. I'd be so frustrated and see what is he going to do next. That was the talent of Dickens, to draw you into the stories. But I really hated Uriah Heep. I still hate him. (laughs) Thankfully, it's fiction, because I don't want to hate anybody. But as much as I've ever felt a feeling of repugnance at someone, it was Uriah Heep. Now, why did I, and why do so many readers over the years, hate Uriah Heep? Because he was portrayed, or he portrayed himself as this humble guy. And yet he was so deceptive and cunning and hateful. And he was plotting all the time to steal from people and to ruin their lives. And he took advantage of trust that he developed. And he made attempts to destroy lives through his fraud. And he used false humility. It was not becoming Uriah Heep was always telling everyone how humble he was. Can you imagine having to tell everyone how humble you are? He would say, humble as I am. And other characters in the book would fall for it. You practically want to shout at them, he's evil, don't let him in. (laughs) And as far as I know, I, I have not known anyone personally quite like Uriah Heep. Maybe some have come close, but thank goodness I haven't known a true Uriah Heep. But false humility need not be that severe to be unbecoming. False humility is a potential hazard for any one of us. 
All we have to do is act as though we respect someone, but at the same time be thinking of how superior we are. False humility is when we feel we're better than someone else, but we act as though we think we're not. I want to point out that recognizing your God-given talents or abilities is not necessarily a lack of humility. If you're a great artist and you want to find a way of serving God with your art, then mentioning that to someone is not necessarily arrogant. Or realizing that you have been given a gift by God and wanting to use it in his service, that's not necessarily being proud. Unless you begin to believe that you're really something else because of that gift or that you got them because of you had a special merit from God or you deserved it. But the humble person that wants to use his or her gifts to, in God's service and for his glory should not downplay those God-given abilities. That would be false humility. And that would not be, that would be unbecoming, right? So, for example, if someone had a great musical talent and they were asked to bless the church with a song, they shouldn't be false uh, using false humility and say, well, no, you know, really, I'm terrible. I'm a terrible singer. Uh, I'm not very good at all. If they really are good, they, they, they shouldn't be saying that. Sometimes we tend to say things like that because we think, well, if I, if, I, if I don't say that, then people will think I am proud. So we do these self-deprecating statements, and they may give the appearance of humility, but in fact, they could be at the core, core a very proud statement. And this is because when you say them and when you're getting to know, uh, when you know they're not true, sometimes what's that all about? It's fishing for compliments, right? We, I, I know some of you like to fish. All of us at times probably like to fish for com compliments. So if you said to that person who knows you sing well that, oh, no, no, I'm not very good, it may be partly because you want them to come back again and say, oh, no, no, you are good. You are. I know I've heard you before. Please, please, won't you bless us with a song? The ego is fed, and the false humility resulted in a payoff for that falsely humble person because the payoff is in the form of a compliment. My father-in-law used to sing a song, It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. He sang it well. He was an Irishman. He loved songs. He always had a sparkle in his eye. He, he would be walking and just see something that reminded him of a song, and he'd start singing it. It didn't matter who was around or what was going on. It, it was sung out loud, and it was beautiful. Um, hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. One would think that the perfect one, Jesus Christ, would have a hard time being humble. But he didn't. And I think the reason for this is that in his perfection... His perfect love. In fact, it's the perfect love of Christ that allowed him to do that. I wonder if Paul was thinking of Jesus when he wrote chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity. But rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Isaiah shows us a powerful message about the love of God. He loved enough to send his son. Let's get back for a moment to see who Isaiah was talking to when he gave this prophecy. He was giving it to people who needed hope. 
Israel had been dispersed and taken captive. At, um, at Isaiah's time, this, is not, this had not yet happened. He was writing to a future group. They would be the ones held captive. Isaiah's prophecies proved so correct that critical scholars, uh, that the critical scholar is someone that tries to explain everything away in the Bible that might have anything to do with being supernatural. So uh, that's my definition, <laughs> maybe not theirs. But they have a solution. They think, well, how could have I, all of these prophecies of Isaiah been true? And they refuse to believe that there's an omnipresent an omniscient and all-powerful God who, who could have his prophets tell these things ahead of time. And so they've come up with this way of explaining it away. And so what they do is they've invented a second and third Isaiah who they say uh, wrote many of the chapters of Isaiah after the fact. But that doesn't make any sense unless you're trying really hard to reject a supernatural God. Isaiah did give these prophecies. He was enabled by God. We know all Scripture is breathed out by God, right? Uh, no prophet, First uh, Peter one twenty one, I believe, uh, was wrote on his own, but was carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, unlike many today who claim the office of prophet because they can give some vague and nebulous prophecies that could apply to many situations, Isaiah was specific and clear. In this passage, along with other messianic prophecies he gave, he's giving hope to those who need it. The servant of the Lord described by Isaiah has come. His name is Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one of God, the Son of God. He was there before the beginning. Jesus said that before Abraham was, I am. The title was a clear indication that Jesus is God. He has all authority and all power, and it will be his kingdom that is without end. He is the one that was there at the creation. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And despite having all of that power and the rightful place in the heavens above all else, he humbled himself and put himself low. He was gentle. His gentleness spoke more powerfully than any man has ever spoken. His humility was stronger than the mightiest kings of history. His impact on the world more conclusive and permanent than any writer, artist, scientist, or political leader mankind has ever seen. This Jesus, who knows our weaknesses and our needs because he humbled himself, wants us to model humility as well. James 4, 6 Quotes Proverbs 3.34, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And what grace does he give to the humble? And what did Jesus gain through his humility? Finally, what good comes from us being humble today? Why should we continue to be humble? This is all answered in Philippians chapter 2. And I'll read from there, starting with verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves." 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. And today we're left with no other alternative than to realize that we need to be humble to honor what Christ did for us. And perhaps today someone is feeling a little prompting from the Spirit about their pride. One of the best ways to deal pride a blow is to confess it. And this morning, consider whether there is pride in your life and, and take action to destroy that pride by confessing it to a fellow believer in Jesus. We are called to be humble. And humble is as humble does. Humility sometimes leads to humiliation. But the one who humbles themselves is given more grace. So if that's to you today, step out in faith. Swallow your pride. The best way to kill any sin, including pride, is to confess it. Especially to another believer. Because you release the power of that sin over your life when you do that. And then you have someone else, too, that's going to be in your corner to cheer for you and ask you maybe tough questions when you need them. Hey, you remember that time you confessed to me this? Well, how are you doing with that? It doesn't have to be negative. Accountability is not some, you know, person coming down above you and, you know, bringing the hammer. It's, it's, it's a two-way street, and it's for your good. So if you have pride that you need to confess the way that you destroy that is by bringing it to a fellow believer and confessing it first before God and then before someone else as well and then you'll be set free and who the son sets free free indeed let's pray Lord thank you for your word this morning thank you for this great model the perfect model of humility Jesus Christ sent for us Lord, it takes humility to even admit we need Jesus. If anyone here, Lord, has not yet come to that point of humility, I pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would grab hold of them and convict them of their sins and convince them of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those who have put that initial faith in you but yet need to give up some of their pride and, and they need to embrace more of Christ's humility, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would also do a work in their heart as well. Soften the hard heart, Lord. If we're, stick, if we're stiff-necked, Lord, please bring us under your control. For our sake and for the sake of your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.